Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, 1937. Walt Disney was almost talked out of producing his studio's first feature-length animation, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but his studio was founded on the premise of his own control. After Oswald and the Lucky Rabbit was lost to him, he quickly bounced back with Mickey Mouse and never had anyone above him again. Walt's success with both characters came from imbuing their actions with believable personality, verisimilitude. Through character beats that inform the viewer about what drives them, audiences connect more with the action and comedy. Versimilitude is one of many things that makes Snow White a success, and it creates a core tenet of hyperrealism that the Disney formalist period is built on for the next several years. Snow White opens on a gilded storybook cracking open, establishing the tone and framework of the film as a fairy tale, as it explains Snow White's stepmother, an evil queen, is jealous of Snow White's insurmountable beauty. This builds high expectations for Snow White, but her actions are what solidify her perspective for the audience. It is clear from how Snow White carries herself that she is kind beyond reality, radiating a peace that attracts birds to her side. The attention to detail in her movements creates the believability. Her movement is lifelike, and displays strong emotions as birds are drawn to listen to her song. Most notable is the blush on her face, a detail so specific to bring life to her, but also so difficult and time-consuming that only one woman, Helen Auger, was able to apply it in this way. This attention to detail extends to the world around her as well, including the water in the well that ripples in time with her singing, creating a duet with Echo. She is singing about a desire too strong for just words or intertitles. True love. The I Want song is now a common beat for Disney Studio musicals, and that is in part because they are effective at relaying information and character beats in an entertaining way. Over the course of the film, actions like this draw the audience further into affection with her, and it creates the want in the audience to see Snow White get what she wants and avoid danger. Snow White is not a film I grew up watching, but even sitting down in 2021 to watch it, so much is undeniable from this first scene. Her song attracts a prince who instantly falls for her, and this prompts the queen to take a new step in suppressing her beauty. Murder. The story beats are elemental. Snow White is an otherworldly kindness bringing order to chaos everywhere she goes, and the only person against her is an evil witch driven by jealousy. There's not much depth beyond that because the story does not fundamentally require it. Within the fairy tale DNA, characters become symbols. The prince represents the idea of a true love that can solve all problems. The detail and hyperreality of the visual language crafts believability for these symbols, and it pulls the audience into rooting for Snow White. The queen assigns a huntsman to kill Snow White, but he cannot do it further instilling her sense of undeniable grace. She runs away through a terrifying wood in an incredible sequence, only to find these woods safe as animals come to her side and take her to a house nearby. She's bewildered at the mess inside and, emphasizing her innate kindness, brings it upon herself to clean house, feeling that it must be hard for these people to have no mother. In the idealization of a motherly figure bringing order to childlike chaos, the film attempts to further endear Snow White for the same reason nature appreciates her presence. While criticism of this as an idealized woman's motivation is well intended for modern audiences, there is little to gain from interrogating the gendered nuance of a fairy tale that has no intention of exploring it, nor is intentionally depicting it. These critiques of Disney princesses and leading women have become popular post-Renaissance, and it is often well-placed. This thread is certainly one that will be returned to in future essays as these critiques have become prominent in popular discussion of the films, and this has resulted in creative decisions from the studio as it attempts to subvert these tropes and shortcomings in future films and remakes to varying results. The verisimilitude of characters extends to every movement on screen, but it started with the Seven Dwarfs. Many of the studio's creations received Walt's signature in a way that covers names of animators and directors, but he earned his producer credit here. 
True to his roots and shorts, Walt's primary focus in adapting the Brothers Grimm tale was formatting it for visual gags. Although the final film is not as comedic as earliest notes suggest, immediately Walt knew he could define the dwarfs by a singular trait visually and mine these personalities for comedy and action. He was right. The dwarfs are introduced mining while singing, with gags that define them as individuals and as a group. The film cuts back to Snow White entering their room and learning their names from monogrammed beds, and as she sleeps there, focus returns to the dwarfs as they sing their way home and begin to display the traits that align with their names. The audience is then perfectly set up to understand the following comedic sequence in the house, as they suspect burglary. Most notable is Sneezy, who often creates suspense with the threat of his powerful sneezing. After meeting Snow White, the group is skeptical of her, but as established, her charm is undeniable. Grumpy is slow to accept her, but even he is won over with time. Snow White's personality continues to shine as she tries the group to clean before eating and pokes fun when they pretend that they have. At 83 minutes, you would be hard-pressed to find a second wasted in the film. A character is advancing story through action, expressing feeling through song, something funny is happening, or a combination of the three. The segments focusing on the dwarfs have several jokes per minute, and they all characterize personalities and group dynamics while being funny to watch. The hyper-realism continues to maintain hold during comedy as the detailed animation mimicking real movement buys the audience in, even if they know Dopey swallowing a bar of soap and burping bubbles is not realistic, nor is Grumpy playing a piano with his butt. The hyper-real in this case heightens the comedy's effectiveness. Another aspect that elevates the comedic action to its peak is the impeccable sense of rhythm. The score and songs are great, but many visual gags will land synchronized to the music, which lulls the audience into waiting for the next punchline with multiple senses. The film is looking for the funniest way a scene can progress, and it finds it. This also creates a staple of the studio's filmmaking, which is allowing side characters to have all the fun and generate laughs to lighten up the lead's more somber character arc of finding love or growing up or conflating the two. The evil queen learns Snow White is still alive and with the dwarfs, so she disguises herself in another remarkable sequence and, poison apple in hand, heads to kill Snow White. With the dwarfs at work, the animals nearby try and stop the queen, but true to character, this only makes Snow White sympathize with the seemingly poor old woman. She eats the apple as the animals try to get the dwarfs to rush home. At this point, the film rushes to its climax. The dwarfs chase the queen through the rain to a cliff and she attempts to push down a boulder onto them but lightning strikes, and with hubris, she plummets. The dwarfs refuse to bury Snow White and cry as she lies sleeping dead. Significant detail is shown in this scene for the audience to empathize with before another intertitle explains the prince has been searching for her, and on arrival, he kisses her, breaking the magic poison's effect. They live happily ever after, the audience comforted in knowing she is free from harm at last, and that momentary sadness washed away. Feature-length animation at this point in history is an accomplishment alone, but so much of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is astoundingly detailed. These feats create the hyper-reality the era is known for, especially in long tracking shots and composition available because of the development of the multiplane camera, which is pushed even further in Pinocchio, 1940. Attention to detail can also be seen in the animation of animals in this film, which is maybe the highest point of Marvel for me. The scenes with Snow White being followed by 20 or more different animals are breathtakingly detailed, and the movement and composition is masterful. Animals become a staple of later formalist pictures that are definitive to the studio's methods, but that is not surprising looking at what this picture had accomplished already. These details of the craft add up everywhere in Snow White. The depth created from the opening zoom, the ripples in the water, the effects on the magic mirror, every time a bird carries fabric, the rain running over the rocks during a chase sequence, every shadow or lighting effect, the queen's disguise and her raven being my favorites. These further strengthen the believability of the world to astonishing effect. 
Now knowing animated filmmaking is within their reach and with the hyper-real aesthetic as a blueprint, the studio pushed even further. Next up, Pinocchio, 1940. Please go to ghostofjojo.com to see all these essays. You can also find a link to this one directly in the show notes of this upload. And there you will find in-text citations and works cited and share it with anyone who you think cares a lot about Disney animation. You can also find myself on Twitter at Ghost of Joe, Ghost of J-O. The music used in this audio version is from The Skeleton Dance, a Disney Silly Symphony short. Thank you for listening and reading.